Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our live broadcast. Hopefully you can hear me. Hopefully the sound's okay. If not, please feel free to complain about it in the chat. Tonight's another test of the new YouTube live broadcast functionality, which unfortunately doesn't allow Robin to join. And it's not my choice, but um, it looks like Hangouts on Air is shutting down, so we won't be able to have I won't be able to have, there must be a way, I just don't know it yet, to have someone else join. The interface is really good. We've got this new chat. If you want to ask questions, we're still going to limit the question asking to uh, our website. If you want to ask questions, you have to go to this site. How's the audio for those of you watching YouTube? Is it okay? So, let's start with uh, daily Dhamma teaching. And today we're looking at um, Anguttara Nikaya, Book of Threes, Sutta 126, or thereabouts. We'll go find it here. Not that one. The Burunda Barandu Barandukala Barandukalama Sutta. So there's um, the story behind the sutta is not all that interesting to us, except there was a guy named Barandu. And it seems that this guy named Barandu, uh, who once once a Buddhist monk, but he uh, he was apparently someone who.
some sort of religious teacher. He had been a Buddhist monk and he left. He was living in Kapilavattu and Mahanama, the Buddha's relative, who was a great lay supporter of the Buddha but never became a monk, um, was supporting them both. So uh, he kind of had some sort of sway over Mahanama, it seems. Mahanama maybe listened to him not realizing that he seems he was somewhat out of line with what the Buddha taught. And so the Buddha somewhat humiliates Barandu. It happened that the Buddha was uh, walking on tour and he came to Kapilavattu and Mahanama came to see him. And the Buddha said, but please, could you find me a place to stay? And he said, well, there's a place for you to stay, but there's this guy named Brandu who was living there, who used to be a Brandu Kalama, who used to be a monk under the Buddha. He's staying there. He said, so you can stay with him at his uh, his hut or his dwelling. And I said, well, that's fine. And so go and go and you can go and prepare a place for me to place for me to sit. And the Buddha went there and sat down. Or lay down, and the Buddha slept there with Barandu. And in the morning, they it seems they kind of met together. And Mahanama came to see the Buddha in the morning, and and the Buddha taught what's actually interesting about this sutta. The whole thing about Barandu is just a little bit curious, as we'll see. But the important as important. Um, important point about this sutta is what the Buddha teaches to Mahanama. And why it's important is as it relates to sort of the very core of uh, addiction, the very core of our attachment to, to all things, well, let's say sensual pleasures in particular. I've talked about this before, so this will be familiar, and um, really found this teaching to be uh, incredibly helpful and pertinent and succinct. So listen up. It's the Book of the Threes, so there's only three things to remember. But the Buddha says, Mahanama, there are these three kinds of teachers in the world. There are different kinds of teachers who teach who teach um, varying degrees of completeness of Dhamma. He's the same teaching is found elsewhere, but he says, Mahanama, some teachers, some teachers describe the understanding of sensual pleasures. They talk about understanding them, and they prescribe 
and direct you to understand what it is to enjoy something what it is to like something they direct you to understand the liking desire but they don't direct you or they don't talk about what the Buddha calls the, the Buddha relates as let's see the Pali Virupa Rupa and Vedana Narupa nang barinyang panyapeti They don't describe and they don't teach you to the full understanding of Rupa a form Rupa means form so here it refers to uh, things that are seen and heard and smelt and taste and tasted and felt the objects of the sense and they also don't describe the they don't teach Vedanang the full knowledge of Vedana which is feeling the pleasant feeling they're not able to, dis to distinguish these three and this is really a key aspect of what makes the Buddha's teaching great is his ability to separate aspects of experience out so that instead of you have a having a, 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 a problem, you know, this, this entity that we call addiction, I'm addicted to something, I like something, you're able to see that, well, actually, there's, there's just a whole bunch of aspects of experience that are interacting with each other. The truth of the matter is a little bit more refined than that. Because if you just deal with, I'm attached to something, I like something. And if you're not able to see the uh, the intricacies of what's really going on, then you won't be able to work it out. You won't be able to learn to let go, to see things clearly as they are. Because, of course, in, in detail, there's nothing, in, in ultimate reality, there's nothing worth clinging to. When you see things as they are, when you see rupa, the form, when you watch it, and you're able to separate it out from the feelings and the liking of it. You're able to see the liking as liking, the form as form, and the feeling as feeling. You're able to see that there's nothing worth liking the form arises and ceases, the feeling arises and ceases, the liking arises and ceases. None of it is really you or the self. That there are experiences that arise and cease. It, it frees you from the obsession and this, uh, the, the power that we give to the experience. When you see how simple it is, how it's made up of simple entities, instead of being some mysterious thing called addiction or desire or so on you're able to see, oh well there arises the, 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 the seeing the, the light touching the eye or the sound touching the ear 
and then there's a, a pleasant feeling and because of the pleasant feeling there's a liking there's a craving for it this is really the best way to look at craving practically speaking as you meditate you'll be able to ex experience these three things uh, from time to time you, you know, uh, sometimes you'll be clear the 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 rupa the experience seeing hearing smelling tasting feeling thinking sometimes will be clear the, f the the pleasure the intense pleasure from seeing something you like hearing something you like and sometimes it'll be quite clear the the liking the desire for it these three aspects of the experience so as I said some teachers are only able to they only talk about desire they don't talk about the rest some teachers are able to describe the understanding of pleasures and end forms but not feelings and some teachers are able to prescribe the full understanding of pleasures forms and feelings and he asks Mahanam are the goals of is the goal of these three kinds of teachers the same or different it's interesting because uh, Basically, what he, I think what he's saying is that one who is not able to one who is not able to teach all three of these things he identifies it with some sort of some other religious teacher, you know, someone who can teach the and teach about desire won't be able to lead one to Nibbana, one who is not able to teach these three things. It's not doesn't lead to the same goal. Mahan so Barandu says, Oh tell them that tell them that they're the same. Barandu tells Mahanama what to say. So somehow he's got this sway over Mahanama. And the Blessed One says, Oh Mahanama, you better say that they're different. And Barandu says, Mahanama, say that they're the same. Say that these guys have the same goal. Seems that Maha, that Barandu probably taught uh, specifically about sensual pleasure. He didn't ever think to be able to separate experience into its com component parts. So there's kind of this uh, conflict. The Buddha actually instigates it. He, he he sort of humiliates Barandu in front of Mahanama, and three times they argue. And Barandu says, oh, this Gotama has contradicted me three times in front of Mahanama. I better leave. And he left Kapaluvatu. He left for good and never returned. It's, it's an interesting story. Um, but the important point is this, this um, ability to separate experience or, or attachment into three three parts, three components. Because that's what, I mean, there, there are more aspects to every experience, but these are the three salient aspects of any, any desire, any clinging. And as you practice, if you can find yourself going back and forth between these three, you can cover pretty much the, the, the bulk of the addiction and you'll find yourself loosening up and becoming less excited about it, about the process, 
as you see it going back and forth and back and forth. Another one might be the thoughts about the experience. One thing that's not mentioned here is your thoughts and your views and your beliefs. You think, oh, this is good. It's good that I like this thing. Or you might think, oh, it's bad that I like this thing. Or this, this object is desirable. You're scheming how to, how to obtain and all that. But really, in regards to any addiction, break it up into these three. Look at the desire. When you like something, focus on that. Say liking, liking. Or when you want something, wanting, wanting. But also look at the actual experience before the, before the liking arises. If you see something that you normally like, you'd say seeing, seeing. You'll be able to see it. It's just seeing. The desire won't arise. Or the feeling. If you feel pleasure, it's not a problem to feel pleasure. Pleasure isn't the problem. But if you're not mindful, of course you're going to like it. And liking is the seed for addiction. That's the problem. So if you say to yourself, happy, happy, or pleasure, pleasure, focusing on the pleasant experience, then your mind will stay fixed on the reality and it won't react. And there won't, the desire also won't arise there. Going back and forth between these three is a great way to deal with addiction and to ease up and to find peace and, and contentment. It takes work, of course, but that's really the best way. So just a brief teaching tonight. That's our Dhamma for this evening. Hey, we have um, Drew here tonight. Drew, come say hello. Drew's leaving tomorrow so I can interrupt his meditation. Come sit here. Drew didn't get to finish the meditation course. He's just done... Uh, how many days have you been here? Uh, nine days. Okay. Well, I will be nine days. Tell us about here. How has it been? It's been hard, but it's been worthwhile for sure. It's, yeah, a lot of work. What have you learned? Learned a lot about the way I think and the problems with the way I think and mm. and it actually yeah I, <laughs> I get it, no? yeah you, get it. You, you change you do mm. I've, I've learned a lot Good how old are you I'm 19 19 you did how many days again about nine days nine days good for you we can do it I'm leaving tomorrow and you're from America you won't say where You can go ahead then. Or you can stay if you want, if you want to listen to the questions. Or you can go go practice. No, it's your last night, no? Mm. Okay, let's see how the live thing is going. I do see this chat on YouTube, but I'm not going to respond to it. See, YouTube is too open. There's too much... It's too unfiltered, and the potential for people to come on here drunk, stoned, or just goofing off is too high. So we will be taking questions at our ordinary website, as usual. Unfortunately, I don't have Robin. I haven't figured out a way to get her in on here. I know what I could do. 
Let's see if I can do this. Robin, I hope you're there. If you are, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a... Why can't I do a... Why can't I do an audio call? Maybe I can. Let's try this. Hopefully it'll just not let me use video. So if she were here, um, hello? No. Robin is unavailable. If she were here, you'd be able to hear her uh, through the interface, the broadcast interface. Okay. So, yes, we have two chat interfaces. If you're looking to ask questions, you have to come onto our website sign up and ideally you have to start meditating with us okay so I'm going to read and answer questions uh, you mentioned you wrote an article about the Heart Sutra you said some of the teachings are not from the Buddha can you please give some examples of such teachings I wrote a dis I wrote an article about the, uh, the Lotus Sutra and I'll be darned if the Lotus Sutra was ever taught by any Buddha. Sorry. I just can't, can't believe it. See, the thing is that around that time there seems to have been a huge amount of, of scholarly teaching. And the best way to get your teaching, um, your, your views uh, recognized, was to claim that the Buddha taught it. The problem was the teachings tended to be mutually contradictory. And so this guy in, in China, and this is of course the way I look at it, but it seems the way most scholars look at it. This guy in China, um, whose name escapes me at the moment, thought that it would be a great idea to put them all together into one religion, which he called Tiantai. And Something like that. I mean, I'm probably way oversimplifying it, but he used the Lotus Sutra to do that because the Lotus Sutra was the first sutra to actually claim that the Buddha actually, the things that the Buddha taught were um, you know, basically lies. They were lies that were used to uh, benefit a person. If you lied to someone for a good reason, um, then it wasn't considered a lie because it brought a person to greater benefit basically you you promise someone something and then you don't deliver but you deliver something better and because you deliver something better it's not really a lie it's basically the gist of the beginning of the lotus sutra and so i wrote an article sort of finding finding uh, finding 
problem with that. That's it in a nutshell. Which food card do you find? Oh, here's the news. Um, a group of Sri Lankan people in the area came to visit me today and they've gotten together and they will be offering me food five days a week. They're going to rotate. And so food is no longer an issue. Tomorrow, Kung is coming, who is a Thai uh, supporter. She'll be staying with us, but tomorrow she's going to offer lunch. And then uh, Sunday and starting starting Sunday, there's going to be food here every day for me. So I won't be using food cards, not all that much. Um, but there, there may still be times where I'm traveling or I'm at school or that I will. There will be days when I'm at school that I'll be using the meal plan. Um, so we we raised all that support for the meal plan, and um, I, so I will be getting food when I, when I'm at university because there is uh, credit. The money has already been spent. All I have to do is go and order the food. Um, so I'll be doing that two days a week, and then the other five days a week I'll be having. I'll be going to these people's houses sometimes. I'll actually get to go on alms round. Uh, to people's houses, they're very close. There's one over here and one over there, just on just down the road. Picked a good. We picked a good location, as far as uh, Buddhists go. We've got some Buddhists in the area, which is great. Um, but the the cards, as far as using the cards, I could still see myself using Tim Hortons. Problem is, there's no Tim Hortons nearby. Otherwise, I'd go get oatmeal in the morning. It's not really convenient. Uh, Tim Hortons, is. and there is quite a bit of of credit in the Tim Hortons account. Um, Starbucks is nearby, and I know that some people sort of smirked at the idea of going to Starbucks, but uh, they have really good, um, really good food at Starbucks. So from time to time I have gone there, and that f that money is, I think, almost empty. So if someone wanted to um, support my going to Starbucks, that would be nice. The other thing is I'll be going to New York um, in October to teach meditation in New York City for a weekend. And there's a subway near where I'll probably be staying. I'm, I'm not sure, actually. I'd, maybe we've moved. I'm not sure if we will be staying at the old place, but um, the best way for me to get food there was to go to Subway. Now there's still some credit in the Subway, but Subway's been kind of acting up and I'm not sure how much there is there. Anyway, there's some idea to give you some idea of what I still potentially could use, but uh, it's probably not going to be that big of a thing to use the cards, not in the near future. So yeah, it's talking about our food situation. Have trouble understanding non-self. Mm. Well, if you could understand non-self, that would be the end of your troubles. So understanding this only come at Nibbana. Well, it comes, no, it comes during meditation practice. Non-self is, is recognized 
in experience when you find that it is not under your control. So today I was reading on Reddit, someone was talking about, about this meditation thread, so I dove in there and started answering a couple of questions. And someone asked, um, how, how, uh, how do you deal with controlling your breath? You find yourself controlling the breath. How do you do about that? You can't stop it. And I said, well, that's the funny thing is you, you can't control the controlling. And what you're actually seeing is that there's no control at all. And the controlling is just a part of the uncontrollable experience. And so seeing that is non-self. When you start to realize that you're not in control at all, that control is an illusion. When you start to see that, that's non-self. When you see that things arise and cease of their own of their own accord. Really, the three characteristics are not something you should worry too much about. You should worry that you're pra whether you're practicing um, focusing on reality. And that's it, because once you focus on reality, of course you'll see impermanent suffering and non-self. That's the nature of reality. So just be clear that you're focusing on what is real and watching things arise and cease, because their very nature is impermanent, unsatisfying, uncontrollable. And make sure that your mind is objective, which is what we do with, with mindfulness, by reminding ourselves, seeing, seeing, or rising, falling, it's to keep you just objective, not let you get caught up in your judgments and your views and, and ideas about self and so on. What is the correct mantra to use when practicing urinating and defecating medication? meditation? Is it just feeling? Feeling is a good one. You can also say urinating or peeing. Or, uh, but feeling is a good one. And also the movements of sitting and flushing and so on. Wiping. Absolutely, the Buddha actually mentions urinating and defecating specifically as a time to be mindful. Does eating habits affect meditation practice? I think potentially. It's not a big deal. Of course, junk food is involved with desire, so if you're feeding your addictions, your desires, it's very difficult to become objective. Your mind is soaked in desire. You won't be able to see things clearly. Um, so it's really good, it's really useful to eat food that is plain and unattractive, undesirable, not, not terrible or awful or anything, but ordinary food, simple, hopefully healthy food, but simple food, um, because it helps you, helps you learn to let go. And in fact, at times, eating, eating food that is unhealthy, not, not unhealthy, but eating, eating being limited by your diet can sometimes be helpful. I don't know, I guess I don't want to go quite so far, but having to eat food that is not what you're looking for, not what you're, you're hoping for. I'm thinking of going on alms round, because sometimes on alms round you may not get enough food. You over, generally, the idea is to get enough food to survive, but it can be a great practice to not be sure, and to some days have to deal with not getting maybe even adequate nu nutrition. The point being that it takes you out of your comfort zone. 
and to some extent that is uh, useful to help you to let go it really helps you see your craving to see your cravings arise and cease. taking yourself out of your comfort zone and uh, being patient when desire arises helps you to see what a construct it is because you see raging desire arise for no reason totally disproportionate to any experience that you might have. Same with anger. Anger will be totally disproportionate and you'll start to see that oh, it has nothing to do with reality. Right? What we don't get is that there's no reason to like or dislike things. There's no measure of a thing where this is, a, this is an appropriate amount of desire or aversion. There's no, there's no measure of appropriate desire or aversion. It's totally unrelated to the experience. It's, it's completely dependent upon our habitual formation of, of that um, you know, desire or aversion, the accumulation of it, and as depend, uh, determines the level of attachment or, or aversion. So going without junk food is useful. Um, and also you could argue that I think there is an argument to be made for eating healthy in general because it supports your ability to walk and sit and, uh, and see things clearly. Now, an obsession with healthy food is problematic. The obsession with health in general creates the delusion of stability, it loses sight of the fact that sickness is a part of life and it's just around the corner for all of us. It's always a potential. But I would say in general you should try and find a simple diet. One that allows you to see that your desire for food has nothing to do with the food. It's just a habit that you built up. Be able to separate it out. Is Yutadamo your birth name? No, it's not. It was changed when I became a monk. Funny, I just met an old friend from childhood and she asked me, Do people still call you Noah? And I said, Yes, people still call me Noah. At university, they still use my birth name. I may change it in the near future. I, there's some legally in Canada to change it. it. I have to have been here for two years. So I guess by now I've been here for two years. So I think I can change, go about changing it. Probably should. Hopefully I'll get around to it. Could you give me some advice on meditation? Sure. I often find myself wandering or open my eyes uh, make it hard to truly focus on one thing that arises. Is there any method to help me remain focused without getting distracted? We're not trying specifically to get focused, not like that anyway. Uh, the best thing that will help you is to learn to, to be flexible. Um, usually the reason is because your mind has wandered and you haven't kept up with it. You're still caught on something. And as a result, you start to give rise to restlessness or desire or aversion, and that causes you to open your eyes and move around. But you can't control your mind, and the, it's not, we're not trying to for force the mind to focus. We're just trying to become flexible. I mean, that's the real challenge in the practice, is to keep up with your mind. When your mind jumps to something new, is to keep up with it. If you haven't read my booklet on how to meditate, I'd recommend that as a place to start and begin to cultivate this, this 
remembrance of things as they are, the ability to keep up with things as they are and cultivate clarity about them. So when you're wandering, you would say wandering, wandering. When you open your eyes, you could say opening and then seeing, seeing. So you could still be mindful, you see. And eventually you're able to um, organize your experience. Your, your, your mind and your experience becomes more orderly and you find you won't wander so much and you certainly won't open your eyes as much when you're meditating. You've probably seen many obese or overweight monks. What would you attribute the excess weight to? I mean, I'm not specifically supposed to, I'm not really supposed to, that's not even true. I'm not, I'm not supposed to talk about a specific monk breaking the rules, but um, I could poss I could imagine that there are some monks out there who just have a biological nature to get fat off of one meal a day. But I would say by and large they're just eating all the time when they shouldn't be. They're breaking rules. There's no question. There's a great number of monks out there that no longer keep that rule but only eating as much as you need. And it's a very strong sign that they're not really meditating either. It's, it's a bit of a giveaway. A fat monk, not really a not really a good sign, honestly. But but yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't get fat if I tried. I could eat four meals a day and wouldn't get fat. So I could imagine there are monks out there who could just eat in the morning and get fat. I mean, a lot of them, it it doesn't even come from doing what they think breaks the rules, but they do a lot of breaking them, but thinking they're not, thinking they're just bending, drinking milk in the afternoon, uh, having having these sweet drinks in the afternoon, coffee even, with lots of creamer, creamer which isn't milk-based, so they, they put it, a lot of this terrible hydrogenated fat, I think, in their, in their coffees, and a lot of sugar, which of course makes you fat. Sugar and sugar and fat together are the worst for fattening you up. And it's really kind of it's really I would say against the rules. Those things are supposed to be medicines for when you have a problem. You're not supposed to drink coffee if you don't have a problem. If you're not sick, if there's not some sickness that coffee can cure. How are we doing over on YouTube? 45 people met watching, 5.5 messages per minute. Got this neat graph. People chatting over on YouTube as well. I'm not sure. We have to we have to figure this all out. Do you watch movies or listen to music? Well, we're not really allowed to watch movies or listen to music. I don't listen to music. Movies? Well, I was just visiting with a friend of mine who's a document, who's a filmmaker. It's an old friend of mine, really good person. She's doing a documentary. She just did a documentary on the prison system. So that kind of thing. I mean, I've watched, um, I've watched Buddhist movies. I even watched this Korean movie that I probably shouldn't have called Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, Spring. 
It's an interesting movie. It's not really my cup of tea, but um, I guess you could say it. I mean, it's Mahayana Buddhist, but it, you could say it's Buddhist. I don't mean to discount it just because it's Mahayana Buddhist, but it means it's different from the Buddhism that I subscribe to. But yeah, no music. And movies is just restricted to things like documentaries. That's what we're allowed. So I'm hoping to watch this documentary on the prison system. I mean, it's actually not that interesting for me, but... I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm kind of borderline there. Why am I watching a documentary on the prison system? It, the point is to, to cult help people cultivate peace and to help our society to, to speak out, I think, on things that are wrong and to say that they're wrong. So I think learning about these things is good. I'm probably a little bit stretching it there. I guess I kind of have an ulterior motive with all this is helping people think more about peace and thereby uh, thinking more about things like meditation. I mean, the prison system interests me particular, be particularly because of the potential to teach meditation in prison. Does those donations go to food cards and restaurants, or are they separate? You must be talking about something that's not on the question list. We have a support page. If anyone's interested in supporting our organization, we're not hard up. We have a great amount of support, thanks to most of you, I'm sure. Um, but we have a support page, and we do run... Everything that we do run is all donation-based. You saw this Drew here. He's not paying to stay here. He's been here nine days, and uh, Rebecca, who's now tonight doing the end of her course, she never paid to stay here. They're eating free, room free, um, you know, teaching free, everything free. So it's all made possible because we've got such an awesome community, and everyone wants to see this continue. And we're doing online courses, and all of this is free, all this equipment. It's all supported by the organization and by all of you. So if you want to support us, we have a support page at uh, sirimangalo.org front slash support. I mean, go to our main sirimangalo.org page if you want to learn about the organization. That takes care of me. And the support page should detail a lot of those kind of questions. Most days I find excuses not to meditate and instead waste my time browsing the internet or playing games. What te techniques or things have you learned to improve daily meditation? Well, having a community is useful. That's part of what this was all about, bringing people together. I would think, uh, I think many people here can attest to the fact that having even just this sort of artificial community or e-community, I don't know what you call it, cyber community, is a support, you know, having a reminder every day to come on here and meditate and to push each other to meditate. I think that's useful. You could do an online meditation course. I think people have found that useful to meet with a teacher once a week. When you have to know you have to meet with me at the end of the week, it's, a, it's something that pushes you to meditate every day. But in the end, you just got to do it. That's the choice is up to you. 
Do you want to you know, live out your life wasting time? I know it's very easy to do and uh, there's a strong inclination to become addicted to it. Well, that's the struggle. You know, no one says Buddhism is going to be easy and most people will never make it, won't cut it, and just get lost in their desires and addictions. So there's really you know, the only answer is you got to do it. I can't. I'm not going to say that you're going to be able to. Maybe you won't. You may be one of those people who doesn't get it, who doesn't make it. It's completely up to you. Just kind of scary, but it should give you a little kick in the pants and push you to meditate a little more. Yutadamabiko, have you attained? some kind of samadhi that I've never even heard of. I don't talk about my own practice. I'm actually not allowed to as a monk, unless you're also a monk. Is this the place to offer dana still? Yeah. Honestly, as of tonight, that might be a bad idea. Although, you know, that whatever that money is where it's going to be used for something. Maybe the organization, I don't have any say in that money. It's nothing to do with me. Oh, it's to do with me, but it's not my money. I'm not allowed to get involved in it. Um, but I would say that campaign is probably overkill at this point. But, you know, this is the near future, the, the far future, who knows. But I now have a whole bunch of support for food. People who will bring me food or invite me to their houses to receive pindapata, alms food. No more questions? Looks like we got a bunch of new people on here who don't understand how we ask questions. If you want to ask questions, you've got to add the little Q, the little question mark. You've got to figure out how to, get, how to get that question mark in there. It's in the emojis. This is maybe not quite as straightforward as it should be. But I don't answer questions unless you figure out how to put the question mark, that question mark emoji in them. Well, and that may seem a little bit weird, but uh, the point is we got this filter that I can click this filter button on the right and it shows me just the questions. Otherwise I have to go looking for them. It's a real chore. So this is, it's not perfect, I'm sorry, but I like making it difficult. This is why we don't answer questions on YouTube. If you make it too easy, people just uh, you become overrun. You know, don't take, don't quite take it seriously. Here we go. Now you've got the question mark, Mariana. Why can people? Why people can be so mean sometimes and end up saying really hurtful things? Well, that's a complex question. I mean, I don't really have an answer. The, the answer is complex. People are mean for different reasons. Sometimes they're jealous of you. Uh, sometimes they're just cruel. Sometimes it's based on insecurities. But the, the one clear answer is it's all based on delusion. And so you could give a simple answer that because they don't understand that it's a cause of suffering, they don't realize that it's a bad thing to do, basically. That may sound sort of simplistic to say, but it's really 
the most important thing to understand is that if you investigate your behaviors and you truly, truly and honestly look at them and observe them objectively, uh, you'll be able to see that such meanness and cruelty is, is a bad thing, objectively. You won't have to judge, you'll start to say, oh, this is really dumb doesn't help, it's not doesn't give me what I want. So you know, that's a simple question. I'm sorry, you know, I feel like I, I feel like I should apologize to you for people being hurtful and I apologize I'm sorry that you have to go through that. But it's a part of life and on the other hand it's it's good um, practice for us. The Buddha said you have to remember you're not always gonna be confronted by people who say nice things to you. And so the ability to um, prepare yourself and to learn how to become invincible uh, to these attacks uh, the suffering that comes from reacting because it's not them hurting you it's, it's your reactions that cause you suffering I know that's easy to say and I'm sorry that it's not easy to do but it really is the way and the only way to free yourself from suffering is not to stop people from being mean and nasty Stop yourself from reacting to it. To learn how to, you know, someone's yelling at you, calling you nasty things. It's just sound. Can you recommend some good books on Buddhism practices or history? I've read my booklet. It's got practices. If you haven't read my booklet on how to meditate, that's probably a good place to start. If you're if you're going to stick around here because that's what we focus on it's a bit of a cop-out I know but so many Buddhist books out there and they're so conflicting and confusing so I'd recommend you start by reading my booklet on how to meditate try that if it doesn't interest you well then the rest of what I say probably won't interest you either so probably go find someone else and get their opinion but after you've read that booklet then come back and we can talk if you have read that booklet, well, then I'd recommend anything by Mahasi Sayadaw, because everything he's written is pretty awesome, and it relates well with that booklet, I think. What do you think about people's reasons for wanting to become a monastic? Where people say that becoming a monk to try to escape life's problems is a recipe for failure. You know, it does, I don't think it really matters what your intention was is much more matters about your state of mind and your ability to accept being a monk because for some people it's really easy it seems to disrobe for other people you just can't believe that they're still a monk but nothing makes them disrobe you know they could be the most the worst monks ever but they're just not interested in disrobing so it's not a it's not that's not the right reason. There are many wrong reasons to ordain, but you, you'll figure that out after you've ordained, if you stick with it. So it's a question of what allows people to stick with it. Why I say this, Buddhaghosa actually, no, not, no, sorry, not Buddhaghosa, Nagasena, who was the, the teacher in the Melinda Panha, which is an incredible book. Uh, he was an arahant, as far as we understand. 
and he says he ordained for the wrong reason. He, the uh, Melinda asks him, so why did you ordain? And he said, well, I was young. I didn't really understand. That, so that's not really seen as, I mean, it's obviously not ideal. You want, it's, it's silly to ordain for the wrong reason, but it happens. And it's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is what is your, your, your I guess, your, your mental quality. So a person could ordain for completely the wrong reason. They could ordain because they were hungry and they thought, oh, these monks have food. But then it can happen, and it has happened in the past, that once they are a monk, they, they say, oh, yeah, wow, this is kind of neat. And then they start to meditate and they become enlightened. That can happen. On the other hand, someone can, can become a monk because they say, I want to attain Nibbana, I want to become free from suffering. And then turn out to be a really rotten monk and fail at it or disrobe even. That's sort of what I think about that. Oh shoot, was there something else in that question that I missed? I wonder if you do become, and you end up happy in the Sangha, then does it really matter? Ah, well, if you're, if you're, if you're a monk for the wrong reason, and you stay a monk, that is a problem. If you're not doing the right things as a monk, you know, you may be a monk just because you like a community and so you sit around and chat all the time. You know, it's not enough to just keep the rules. The idea is, are you practicing to become enlightened? Because if not, you're corrupting the Sangha. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to ask two questions, but what are the major differences between Mahayana? Okay, here's, it seems like going on YouTube like this, we've got a, a larger audience tonight. I don't know if some of you are new here, but um, probably some of you are. But I'm trying to keep the questions at just meditation because I've got limited time on here every night. I don't want to stick around for hours and hours. And I'm doing this every night, but the questions should be based on meditation. I'm not going to give you answers to the different major differences between Mahayana and Theravada Buddhism. Please don't take that as a criticism. I understand that it might seem reasonable to ask that here, but it's not. This is a meditation site. So if your questions are not really about meditation or useful from the meditation perspective, I get that that's a useful question. It is, but you'll have to go elsewhere to find the answer. There are places. A really good place is buddhism.stackexchange.com. Maybe someone knows the link to that. Um, I used to be involved with that, and I'm sure they're giving out answers, and I'm sure that question has already been answered on that site. What's the benefit of celibacy? Uh, well, the benefit of giving up any addiction, really. Celibacy, because sex is an addiction, and it's very much uh, clouding of the mind. You aren't able to, you aren't objective when you're engaged in, in sexual activity, you know, far from it. It's an incredible cop-out, really, you know. Life is, ordinary experience is, is, for most of us, stressful. You don't believe that because you're engaged in all sorts of sexual activity and sensual desires. But try sitting still. This is what meditation is. It's not a special activity. Meditation is the ordinary activity of, of just being with reality. Most of us can't do that. Why? Because we're addicted to things. Our addiction is a real problem. And uh, you know, it's a cop-out to, to give in to your addiction.
It's not dealing with, it's not learning how to be, it's not learning how to exist, it's not learning how to be happy. So sex is a problem. Sex is an addiction. It's not good. I apologize, most of you are probably a little bit turned off by that answer, but those of you who know me probably understand. What's the best way spiritually to help with depression? Uh, have you read my booklet on how to meditate? I'm assuming you haven't. That's where I would start. If you want to find my booklet on how to meditate, there's a menu up in the top left. I scroll down. Oh, there's a live stream. Is that actually working? Uh, go to the guide. There's a In the menu, there's a thing that says guide. G-U-I-D-E probably should be a little labeled a little bit differently and not be a shopping cart a shopping bag but um, that leads to my booklet on how to meditate it's online totally free in fact we're setting up a system by which you can order a hard copy a paperback version but uh, read that because the meditation teachings behind that which are actually you know there's better written books out there a little bit longer, a little bit bigger, but um, meditation behind that is a great way to help deal with depression. Is loneliness just a concept, a negative spin on the world of the word solitude? Is loneliness even mentioned in the Buddhist texts? Good question. Is loneliness... Well, I would say it's it's not so much. I can't think of an instance um, but the desire for, we would probably call it more the desire for uh, society. And that's really calling it what it is. What does it mean to be lonely? It means to be wanting. It's an addiction to society. I know, the hearing this word addiction is like, well, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? But let's call it what it is. You're addicted to it. Addiction means you're not comfortable without something. You're not happy unless you have something. It's an addiction. You're not happy without society, which is a bit ridiculous, because what does it mean to have society? What is society, really? It's this nebulous thing that is very ill-defined as the pleasant feelings that you get from being around people, but they're just pleasant feelings, and so it turns out to be an addiction to feelings, which in turn is really just an addiction to the mental or the brain chemistry, really. You know, the endorphins, the, I don't know, what comes up, oxytocin, dopamine, all these wonderful chemicals that we have in the brain. and So it turns out to just be a d drug addiction in the end, which sexuality is as well. Our addiction to food is just a chemical addiction as well. They're all just drug addictions in the end. But yeah, the Buddha talks a lot about the desire for society, which is one of those addictions, one of those problems. I have a serious lung disease and I am preparing for a double lung transplant. I am really struggling with anxiety and I know that I need to have a state of mind. It's beyond this anxiety. How do I go about that? Oh, well, you have my, you're in my thoughts and I wish for you to have a successful operation. Even if you don't, um, you know, I can't predict it. Meditation would be vital in, in your future. It's vital for all of us. But here's an example. This could, this could be any, any of us. And we will all go through these sorts of things. If not now, then in the future. So this is a great, a great 
you know, you, you are in, you are, you are, um, you're on the front lines in this struggle, and we salute you. If you haven't read my booklet on how to meditate, I'd recommend that that's a good place to start. If you have, um, then I'd recommend you r watch some of my videos on anxiety. I mean, briefly here I can describe it. Anxiety is, I don't, you know, normally I just say go watch my videos, but this is an important, you're, you're on the front line, so I will, we back you up here. Um, anxiety is just a small part of it, really. Anxiety is the, the seed in your mind that ignites. It's like the spark that ignites, and ignites so much in the body. There's tension, and there's butterflies in the stomach, and there's the heart beating fast, and the tension in the shoulders, and the headache. All of this is a product of anxiety. It's not the anxiety. So again, going back to the teaching earlier, you have to break anxiety down into what's really happening. Don't just say, I have a problem with anxiety, I'm struggling with anxiety. Then it becomes this problem that you can't actually fix, because it's not real. What's real is the experiences. So the anxiety is part of it, but it's just a moment. You're anxious, and then there's the physical. And usually what happens is that physical makes you more anxious, because you identify with it. You say, oh, I'm anxious, and then that makes you more anxious. So you should be, break it into pieces and be mindful of each of these one by one. If you're anxious, say to yourself, anxious, anxious. If you feel tense, say tense, tense. Don't react to it. Don't try to make it go away. Don't try to stop it. It's not a problem. It's just experiences. And the thoughts, the thoughts about the worries about the lung transplant or the, you know, your future, when those thoughts come up, they're what instigates the whole problem in the first place. So focus on them and say to yourself, thinking, thinking. But to get this, you really kind of have to read my booklet on how to meditate or something like it. Mm. If there's more I can answer, you know, if you want to talk, um, please feel free to sign up for our... I've got online slots, so there's a schedule. If you go into the menu, there's a schedule. Sign up for one of the online slots and we can talk on on Hangouts, if you figure out how to, we can have a video conference. I'm happy to talk about these things, give you advice. Someone on the front lines. I mean, most of us are, are dealing with difficult, with problems. I, I have people, you know, as I said, I once had a woman who had been raped by her father and she was having to deal with the effects of that. I deal with people who have intense phobias, um, people who have sicknesses, you know, people who have who are trying to get off of psychoactive drugs. You know, this is there's a lot of that. How does dropping one's e ego give one ultimate happiness? I don't know. I could just give you an answer about that, but I'm like, well, why don't you find out? Why don't you test it? Learn about yourself. Read my booklet on how to meditate and start practicing it and see what it does for you. If you find that it show, it should show you what's real. So if you find that, it, that as you practice, you realize that the ego is very valuable and, and useful and leads to happiness, then by all means, keep trying to control things. Keep trying to be the the boss. But if you start to see that being the boss is not so much fun and it actually causes suffering, then well, it doesn't matter because you'll naturally start to give it up. 
as you see things as they are. What makes you most happy? Like when you're really happy, what is that one thing? The only thing that can truly make a person happy is Nibbana, the realization of Nibbana. Everything else is just details, distractions. Chaff, I guess you'd say. Are there any types of meditation that can calm or cure physical pain? There probably are. They're not that useful because anyone who is, who is practicing them is cultivating aversion to pain. You see, you don't like the pain. That's why you've decided to practice it. And when you intentionally try and avoid the pain, you're feeding that aversion and you're becoming more averse. These things aren't static. They're habitual. That's why we are very much averse to even the smallest pain. And so you're acting against your own benefit when you try to get rid of the pain. Sorry. It'd be a downer on that one. What is your belief on what nirvana is? I'm not going to go into that. Nirvana, well, briefly, nirvana is freedom from suffering. It's the unwritten chapter in my new book. I guess this is what I have to write now. But I've talked about it before. Nirvana is not something hard to understand. It's probably hard for most people. If you're meditating, it's not hard to understand. When you, and the Buddha describes it, it's so simple that people just don't, aren't able to grasp how, how, you know, how it could be because they think of it as something, must be something more complex than that. Um, when you, when you w look at reality, you start to see that it's impermanent, unsatisfying, and uncontrollable. All the things you thought it wasn't. The reason we cling and strive for things is because we think that we're going to find something that's stable, pleasant, satisfying. And the closer we look, the more we see that nothing in, nothing that arises is like that. And so we start to become ambivalent and disinterested, and we start to reject the attraction to these things, until finally the mind just gets it and says, you know, there's nothing, nothing that arises could possibly satisfy me. Everything that arises ceases, that's all. And then the mind lets go. And when the mind lets go, there's the cessation of suffering. No more suffering. No more none. And what that means is the cessation of things that aren't satisfying. The cessation of things that are not actually happiness. And all that's left is peace. Nibbana. I'm not going to go into too much de more detail about that. Practice and find out. Do you want to try it? Go ahead. Come do a course with us. See how far you get. On meditation, sometimes I try to do those whole day meditations, but I only get one or two hours and grow tired. How can I overcome this? Not easy. Doing a whole day of meditation is not an easy task. You need real fortitude and determination. The best way is to find a meditation center and have a teacher who will tell you what to do. It's night and day, you know. When you get to a center and they tell you you have to do it, suddenly, boom, you're doing an all day of meditation. Much easier. Have a teacher, have someone you can talk to. But two day, two hours a day, start with that. Start with doing two hours a day. And I'm still not convinced that you're actually practicing meditation in our tradition, so I'm going to insist that you read my booklet first and then come back and ask. And I'm not answering that question. Sorry.
and as usual the YouTube chat is toxic somewhat I mean I guess there's probably good things maybe not toxic I don't know I'm not gonna go through it but it looks like there's a bit of language and we've got a drunk guy yeah if you want to avoid all that stuff just come back to our meditation site I don't know actually this is a good question as we get more popular can we prevent people can we actually kick people from our site if they're rude I suppose it's good to have to deal with this sort of thing but um, yeah it's great to see new people coming we've got 29 people on our meditation site right now 48 people watching the live stream so hopefully the audio situation has sorted itself out from last time I shouldn't laugh. Alcoholism is a serious condition. Um, yeah, it's just unfortunate that you would come on here when you're drunk. I would still argue that you should probably try and uh, schedule it so that you're able to come on here sober to be able to help you with your alcoholism. Because there's not much we can do when you're on here drunk. Yeah, one of the big disadvantages with alcohol is it's... Oh, there's lots of disadvantages. I'm not going to go there. All right, that's all. It's been over an hour. So let's hope this all worked out well. And I'm assuming this is still going to be recorded and put on our YouTube channel, my YouTube channel. So many tools here. I can do different things. And then the encoder. I've got all these tools here. I can go to my desktop. I can go back to this. I could add pictures if I wanted. Huh, this is it's really powerful. But the only thing it won't let me do is insert Robin in it. Which is understandable. But I could. I would just have to um I could insert her audio anyway. The audio will be easy, which is I guess what we're gonna have to and have to content ourselves with. So that's all for this evening. Thank you all for tuning in. If you have more questions that I didn't get around to answering, please feel free. Well, our, our new site is really good at keeping them, I think, so they should still be there tomorrow. And you're welcome to ask them in the meantime, and I'll get around to them when we do broadcasting tomorrow. But uh, that's all. Have a good night, everyone.